Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Readier Room, the only Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast with on-the-set stories from those who were there to watch the magic happen. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services to the stars at Paramount in the 1980s, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, Head of Resources Management. Brandon, how are we doing today? Doing uh, wonderful as usual, Mitch. Yeah? Happy to be here. Are you? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I think so. That's good, because I'm super excited to be here, as always. This is episode number 11, I believe, of the podcast. Yep. Yep. And those two ones, those are us coming together to to make some great memories and and relive the glory of the next generation. Which, by now... That's such a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, thank you. By now, it's the previous generation, but but really, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, I mean, it'll always always be the next generation, though. That's for sure. So before we get into uh, this week's episode of Star Trek, we have, as always, a question of the week from one of our fans. This one comes from the Twitter sphere. So you could say I heard it from a little bird asked me this question. Um, (laughs) This one comes from user Deoshi's Prime. I think I'm saying that right. Deoshi's Prime. Deoshi's Prime, huh? It's, not, it's something like that. I think that's like a like a, a Deep Space Nine character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, and and for the fans, you know, we're Trek fans, of course, but we're not. Uh, we're not really uh, walking encyclopedias or anything like some of you are. So no, no, uh, no. You, you guys might be a little bit ahead of us on this sort of thing. So um, you know, just be just be patient with uh, with the DS Nine references. I'm sure, you know, at home, they're like, no, the X is silent. Ah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Mea culpa. Mea culpa. It's my fault. All right. Anyway, so Deoshis asks, um, quote, given the much documented problems with TNG season one, how much did you worry behind the scenes that the show might get canceled? And, oh, uh, boy. That's that's a really good question. Um, so as Deoshis noted, the first season in a lot of ways did not go smoothly um basically at all and that was not lost on us on set um at every level of the production almost people were always looking for other jobs to fall back on once we got word that uh the production was being shuttered um and that was you know crew like cameramen grips um people working in prop department uh even some of the actors and most most famously denise was uh always looking for other work and uh she kind of prematurely left in anticipation of the show's cancellation Mm -hmm. um and that kind of attitude really defined the production of that first season i think whenever there was a mistake (coughs) on set or like an actor flubbed their lines or something everybody kind of had this attitude like ah who cares you know we're not going to be here in a year you know why bother making it perfect um which i can't really blame anybody for and I had a little bit of that myself at the time. Uh, I'm not oh, gonna, definitely. Not going to pretend I'm above anybody. But 
The only person who can, who can say that they were above others, is Jean, actually. Um, Jean never took part in the dooming that was going on, of course. Um, he always insisted that, you know, they'll all see, they'll all see, in reference to the American audiences at the time who weren't so keen on TNG. Uh, he kind of had that as a, as a motto to to center himself, like a mantra almost, just repeating that under mm-hmm. his breath over and over as the source of motivation. Like, oh, right, see, right, right. Um, and it, it worked, I guess. It pulled him and the series itself through in a way. Gene was right, astoundingly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can only, I can only guess that he must have some kind of psychic energy, right, or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, because he really pulled us through. He got us through that first season. Uh, if, if not for him, uh, we wouldn't be here right now. Exactly. We would be talking about, um, Battle I don't know, Star you know, our, our, our time, uh, you know, yeah. Battlestar Galactica, uh, my time on, on the set of Elf. Yeah. Yeah. Alien uh, life form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great show. Great show. Uh, he ate cats. Little known fact about Elf. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Every, I think every production in television needs to have that captain of the ship, right? Somebody there mm-hmm. just guiding everyone else along, like a chaperone almost. And Gene was very good at that. He always uh, stepped up to take that role. So formally, Definitely. I'll say thank you, Gene. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Gene. Not Eugene, mind you, but thank you, comma, Gene. Thank you, comma, Gene. So... Yeah. Uh, that brings us to this week's episode, which I believe is episode 11. It's 11. always it's always difficult. I'm sure I'll go back when I'm putting the show together after we record. Like, oh, no, that was actually uh, 10 or whatever. And uh, next episode will also be number 11. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's the big goodbye. It's right. The big goodbye. The not- big goodbye. And um, not not the long goodbye. Not the tall goodbye. The not the grand goodbye. goodbye either. Not the not the heavy goodbye. Um, the big goodbye. And um, this was actually the first and only episode of TNG to win a Peabody Award. Yeah, and I, I remember we were all very proud of that. I mean, who um, wouldn't be stoked uh, to get the, the illustrious Peabody? It was huge. It was huge. Uh, I think I think the award was for. God, what category was it? I think it was something like uh, most creative, low-budget, period, piece, filler episode in a sci-fi series. Um, <laughs> and I, I do need to stress to the audience that there was some particularly strong competition for that that year. So We really pulled it out. We, we got it. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah. So, yeah. The... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I got gonna... nothing to say. I was going to say that... Um... We joke, but when you watch this episode, that that is the um, the the attitude you get from it. It really does feel like an an unsubstantial piece of of filler that's completely inconsequential to anything. And not that TNG has a very serialized plot because it doesn't, but even within this episode itself, the stakes just couldn't be lower. Sure, and I agree with that, but I also want to say that uh, i mean we obviously had fun with this on set and i think a lot of that really bleeds through 
in you know the final episode itself when you're watching it it does um, feel fun um and it's nice because part of the um how it's presented in the script in the show itself is that the characters themselves are just engaging in a in a pleasure activity they're just doing this for fun yeah and so it's it's pretty pretty different from what we've seen so far uh in in TNG mm. and um Everyone's a fish out of water in this episode. Yeah, uh, which, not, not you know, just I don't data. Know if that's good or bad. Yeah, not just data. I'm not sure if that's that's a good or a bad thing, but I will say that it's fun to see Picard in that way because he's usually so reserved and measured and stoic. Um, in this episode, not only do we see him actually enjoying himself, but we get to see him um, confused by the, the the things going on around him. Right. Um, and in like an in an innocent kind of way for most of it. C- compare that to Picard's reaction when um, Riker is flexing his Q powers in uh in in Q who or Q and C hide right. and Q um, hide and Q hide and Q who is much later. <laughs> <laughs> um, where it's like, oh, it's this extra dimensional godlike being, and and Picard has the whole trajectory of the inter- interaction charted in his head, and he's like, all right, go ahead, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in this episode, there's a minor holodeck malfunction, and Picard's just, like, completely beside himself in befuddlement. Um, yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, it's just very, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I know, I, I like it. I just think that this is a better treatment of Picard in a threatening situation than, than that one was. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. It absolutely is. Um, and Crusher also has a lot of uh, fun moments. Not before, before the threat presents itself. Yeah, before someone dies. Yeah. Or nearly dies. <laughs> before someone yeah, gets she does. wrecked. She does. Um, you know, as, as always, I kind of want to start out at the beginning. Right. right? One day we'll uh, start at the end. One day. Yeah, one day we'll actually it'll be it'll be like a an event kind of episode where we just start at the end of an episode and work our way back. Um, so the episode opens with uh, with with Troy talking to Picard, right? Yes, they are preparing to meet some aliens. Oh, the aliens! I totally forgot about the aliens because I so I guess that's. This episode kind of almost doesn't have an A and B plot. I guess that's the B plot. Very I guess barely. That's the B plot. It's it's there's such a fine line between the two because they're they're both so informed by each other that which is a good thing. Um so yeah, the aliens. God, these are these are fun. Um so this is probably gonna be obvious for longtime watchers of Trek, uh or even this show. But the aliens um in this episode, they actually had a real life racial analog right right as they uh, often do and, uh, yeah yeah and uh, I'll, I'll i'll give the audience a couple of seconds to maybe guess which race they might represent um so so tomei the writer for the episode he uh, he really had a vision for these guys as like this bug-like hive mind um with just weird customs that you'd have to follow to a t or you know you'd get blown up for dishonoring them right Right, um, which does shine through in the final product. Um, that that vision was fairly well represented, and so uh, what what race are they? And um, yeah, if you guess Japanese, you you'd be right. Well, it it, so it, it the, helps that the name is 
also very clearly Japanese. Right, inspired. and and what is the name? Uh, Harada. 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 A common Japanese name. Right. Uh, the way they got around this, however, um, not that you'd ever know this just from watching the episode, they spell Harada with a J, so it's like a Spanish word. Yeah, I don't. That was weird in like a. That was weird in a weird way when I saw that uh, in the script <laughs> and then later on in the subtitles. It's like why <laughs> was it not alien yeah. enough to just use an H that you had to throw a J in there? <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, Spanish is a very alien language. Yeah, well, when we were doing the table read, I distinctly remember people just saying Gerada. Or Gerada, yeah. I'm surprised that didn't bleed into the final episode, you know, with all the, the, the weird miscommunications in, in pronunciation, right. you know, with, uh, with, with Daimon and Daimon. Well, it's, it's key to um, unlocking the, uh, the racial analog to pronounce it with an H. Like, once you get the J in there, it kind of loses some mm -hmm. of that, the hard J. Yeah, exactly. It. So I can see yeah. why the writer might have taken extra steps to ensure that things were correct on the set. Whereas like Daemon, Daimon, very inconsequential to the theming and messaging yeah. of that episode. Yeah, these these things were Tomei's babies. Um, he he really, really thought a lot about these guys. We should um, clarify and... that, that this was not Marissa Tomei, but a different Tomei. Right, not, yeah, not, not, not Marissa Tomei. Um, Possibly related. I'm not sure. Well, I don't you, remember. You know how Hollywood is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, you know who who runs Hollywood. Um, so one of the interesting things about these aliens is that uh, they just never show up yeah. in the episode, which I think is we, a uh, very good visual metaphor for the strength of this B plot. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> There's a lot of misinformation online about this because, you know, you go and read the uh, uh, Memory Alpha wiki, for example, and, and they're saying that, you know, the, the aliens were cut because of budget constraints, right? Mm. Uh, this is just, it's simply not true. Um, the, the decision not to show the Harada was completely intentional. It was, it was uh, supposed to be a metaphor, actually, for the uh, insidiousness of the Japanese, like, behind-the-scenes influence on the American economy at the time. You know, they were like a, an economic superpower. And, that's the thing. Um, it's it's important to keep the time the time frame yeah. of when this was made in mind. Like right. some of the decision making wouldn't quite fly today, but um, at the time, these were rationales and ideas that people were getting behind. And uh, Gene yeah. himself saw this and kind of gave the green light. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know, much of it did come from Gene too. Um, so, yeah, lots lots of kind of subtle commentary on uh, the world as it was back in the 80s. That, you know, that's what makes TNG so interesting. It is. It that's is. why it holds up today. It's a bit of a time capsule in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, It's it stronger for it. There's a lot of shows that one might say are timeless in that they're not beholden to any trend or attitude of a specific time or place, but really, they don't have the multi-layered uh, ability to be analyzed like something like TNG does where you have to peel back the surface and look at what was happening at the time you know it's like yeah <laughs> it's like an old novel in the way you, you know you, you read a Charles Dickens novel and it's like well this is really long because he got paid by the by the word and that makes sense mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. it adds another layer 
Um, whereas it does, it does. you watch something like Star Wars with the movie and from the 70s, and that you could have made that anytime. It's got nothing there's extra just, yeah, going on. There's there. just no substance to it no. at all. I mean, what are you really getting from it? Exactly. Exactly. Whereas TNG has a lot to give you. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's why we are one of 500 online podcasts about Star Trek The Next Generation. It's a great community to be a part of. There's just so much to talk about. Indeed. Like TNG. So, yeah, like TNG. So let's continue talking about TNG. I'm in. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the Harada, they, they have this custom that, uh, you know, only the captain can perform. Well, he has to say something. They have an honor about, they have a custom about honor. And to them, any anybody but the captain addressing them is is an act of dishonor. And right, get, getting right. commuting, communicating to them in their language anything but perfectly is also dishonorable. Like if you if you mix mm-hmm. up a word or pronounce something incorrectly, and that is where that is the subject of Troy and Picard's conversation. Picard is practicing his speech that he's going to address the Harada with. That's right. That's right. Practicing That's right. the phonetics and the pronunciation of their language. And here, I don't know if you predicted that I would have a problem with this, but this is already completely I nonsensical. Have the same problem. Because nobody that's just not how communication works in Star Trek. People don't all learn each other's languages and and speak to them in 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 those languages. They speak to each other mm-hmm. in their language, and it's universally translated. So what, both when Picard is practicing talking to them in their language, and when the Harada speak to the they later speak to the Enterprise in English, neither of that makes sense given the established universe of Star Trek. Right, right, right. And and you uh, you continue to bring this up, Mitch. Uh, I'm a language fetishist. Yeah, uh, I don't know if the audience is 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 sick of it yet, but I, I appreciate you uh, sticking to your guns here. I'm never gonna let this go. Just wait until we get to Darmok. <laughs> uh, no, the Darmok actually makes that. sense. That's the thing about it. It's um, if you take the established Star Trek uh, lore insofar as communication and languages, Darmok checks mm-hmm. out astoundingly. It does check out though, doesn't it? Because they're speaking English. Right, it's it's, it's just a fragmented English. Well, the yeah, the problem isn't that isn't the language itself. It's just the the structure of it and the meaning of exactly. it. Exactly. And speaking in metaphor like that, you could say those metaphors in any language, and if you don't know the meaning, you're not going to know the meaning, which is uh, right. Which is the whole point. Which is why Darmok is such a smartly written episode compared to not not like this whole episode, but this part of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know anyone who has a problem with Darmok for that reason, because you know there's been plenty of them. Mm. Uh, suck it! <laughs> it's a great episode. It is a great episode. Um, so that was not my issue with this scene, but I do have several. Okay, well, I'm I'm in, I'm in for this. I'm in for several. So so Troy is talking to Picard about um, taking a break, to you know taking a breather. Using the holodeck or whatever. Because he's been working uh, so is, hard. Yes, yeah. Troy's the ship's psychologist, right? Mm. Um, so, mind you, Picard does not spend any time um, in therapy with her, ever. Because he's Picard. So, just going by the dialogue in this scene, uh, several questions were raised to me. 
Why does Troy know Picard's interests so intimately? Mm. Why does Troy personally program the holodeck for Picard for this 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 story? Um, did Picard order someone to program this? Because it doesn't seem like something he would do. And why has Picard never used the holodeck before, or a holodeck before, when Wesley Crusher clearly knows exactly what a holodeck is? Um, and in fact, later on in the episode, uh, some time is even spent on a captain's log from Picard, where he just gushes about how realistic the holodeck is. Yes. And then he does the same thing in a meeting with his staff. Yeah, that was weird. But wasn't there some dialogue about the holodeck recently receiving an upgrade or something? Am I crazy? Oh, you may be right about that. We'll have to double check that. I mean, if we're wrong, the audience can tell us here. Right. They can They can get mad at us. Because that would explain some of this where it's like, oh, this, yeah. this new holodeck um, is much more realistic or, you know, can do a lot more. Uh, whereas just like, oh, I was in the holodeck and I saw an automobile isn't, you know, they can do that either way. It's not really going to uh, amaze Picard like it should. Uh, or, uh, an automobile? <laughs> I enjoyed the subtitles on that exchange. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, automobile with a V, yeah. Oh, yeah, mobile. yeah, that's right. He says it with a V. Just, um, just great world building. Yeah, but see, none of that really answers the questions of who programmed this, why. Yeah, and you know. it's it's when you see people program the holodeck in later episodes, um, mm -hmm. it's very specific in in what yeah. they they ask for. There's a really I don't know if it's a really good scene, but there's a scene several seasons later where a group of people are programming the holodeck in tandem to like reconstruct a, a joint memory that they all have, and right. In that scene, the dialogue to do so is incredibly specific. Like, computer, um, create a chair, brown, with a footrest, mid-20th century design, about how, like, about a meter long or whatever. Um, but a lot of specifics about it. Mm -hmm. Such that, mm -hmm. to program this 1940s San Franciscan landscape, would would be a quite involved endeavor. It absolutely would. So maybe Picard did did order uh, order someone to program that. But Troy. Yeah, and that's the thing. Just just the the fact that Troy is like, oh, your uh, your simulation is ready and waiting, sir. Why why is she involved in any way? Did she do it? Yeah, I. It I can fathom a universe where it's like. All right, doctor's orders. As the counselor, you need right, to yeah. to go relax. So I had somebody from engineering program this for you, but to that would need to like establish this uh, patient counselor relationship that Picard mm -hmm. has just never seen to have had with Troy. Um, and any, then she'd need to like ruffle through his his Dixon Hill books tucked away in his office, right, or his room, and it's. Up until now, Picard has been established as like a just a crotchety old like asshole. He's standoffish. Yeah, he's not the kind of person to it, ever go into therapy, let alone engage with it on a uh, on a sufficiently deep level that this would make sense. Right. So he's not going to volunteer information about himself like this. No, no. So there's a lot 
I think that's a theme of this episode in that there's a lot of things unsaid and implied and missing. Missing is a better way to put it. There's a lot of things missing. missing. Yes. Um, where that's going to be recurring as we go on. But mm-hmm. th- so that establishes our two plots. Um, there's a the A plot and with uh, the holodeck stuff and the B plot with the Harada stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I give me one second. I have to go kill a very threatening spider. Oh, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, shit. I'm back. I'm readier. Um, oh, okay. Just gonna leave that in. Perfect. So, uh, anyway, that establishes our A and B plots um, for the episode. And you might be thinking, well, I know which one is the A plot, and I know which one's the B plot, but I don't think under any conventional reasoning would anybody ever arrive at the thought that, yeah, all this holodeck San Francisco bullshit is gonna be our A plot. And this very, yeah. very politically based, tense alien interaction is going to be the B plot, but such, yeah. such is life. There it is. There it is. The first of many holodeck episodes that we had to do when everyone ran out of ideas. And uh, um, well, so it kind of yeah, running out of ideas. It might not surprise anybody to know that this episode initially began its life as um, one of those yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes scripts that we always got sent in. Yeah. Long time listeners will remember the Sherlock Holmes guy. But by this point, we were still a little naive about the whole thing, and we weren't exactly as um, as hostile. Jaded. Or, yeah, jaded is another way to put it. Whereas we, we took that script and we're like, you know, we can rework this. We don't always want to go to the Sherlock Holmes well, so let's find another famous mystery uh, writer mm-hmm. and character. And what we landed on was Raymond Chandler, uh, who created the character, um, oh god, what was his name? Philip Marlowe it was the name of his character. Yes. And yes. if you're familiar with mystery novels, then the title of this episode probably already gave that away. Because this is the big goodbye, and Raymond Chandler wrote The Long Goodbye, which uh, starred that character, Philip Marlowe, a detective very much like Dixon Hill. Um, Basically, a a mirror of what we see in the episode. The plan initially was to just have those those names used, like reference them by name. But um, the guy's estate, Raymond Chandler's estate, just really, really hated Star Trek. They loathed it. Oh, for um, good reason. Well, I mean, they it's going back to the original series. They just really couldn't stand the sight of that interracial kiss that broke new ground on oh. television. Yeah. So because of that, they, the estate held a grudge. And by the time we came to them, we asked them, like, oh, can we use the, the you know, these names in our scripts in our television show? They were like, hell no, you absolutely cannot. Very vehemently, which we weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, we just thought we'd come in, clear the rights, leave, and call it a day. Yeah, simple. Right, which is what happened with the start, uh, the um, the Sherlock Holmes stuff. It wasn't in the public domain by that point. And um, right, 
No, no, it was the exact opposite. It was just a very difficult process that we ultimately got denied in. And by that point, we couldn't just rewrite the whole script, so we just changed a few names and kept everything else basically the same. Uh, even the title, which we kind of, you know, the how we have it here, the big goodbye, that doesn't really make sense, right? Goodbyes don't yeah, have right, a size. Right. But yeah, we, they're not usually big. We kept it this way almost as a um, as a slight to that estate, you know? <laughs> We're going to reference your work whether you like it or not, and now it's in a way you can't uh, interfere with, so yeah, taste yeah. it. But, I mean, disgusting stuff, really. Which... And that takes us to the to the holodeck stuff, because once Picard enters the holodeck, he enters a 1940s, like, gumshoe detective uh, novel, essentially. Right, right. And it's, uh, it's kind of cool. I didn't think I would ever say that, but it's kind of cool. Like, I, 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 I actually agree with you. Right? <laughs> I agree with you. Um, much to my chagrin. Yeah, it begrudgingly works in a way. Yeah, um, we we were lucky too because we got to just borrow all the set stuff from from the uh, the the drama, the next lot over, right? That was uh in production at the time, so um, that was really cool. Yeah, that's a recurring uh, theme in any time we have one of these hollow deck episodes or like a time travel yeah. episode. It's I mean, what, we, what we, we got, got on the lot. Set yeah, yeah. It, we, we, I mean, we're not just we're not just. Uh, willy-nilly making period pieces because we feel like it that would be ridiculous that would be insane um yeah picard picard walks in to uh dixon hill's office in his star trek uniform his uh, assistant says they're gonna send him to the funny farm um if, so, if you yeah how do you feel about that that old-timey dialogue that permeates the entire episode um i thought it was great oh yeah it's it's fun they say like funny farm they're calling women toots uh yes yeah oh that was that was pretty good (laughs) that was good um yeah yeah lots of that very well written i must say in terms of the dialogue it is and it's also like very obviously a joke um right it's not none of this is serious this whole episode is pretty tongue-in-cheek and how it approaches things aside from like you know the guy getting shot um <laughs> but other than that it's it's very silly stuff which which yeah is fun. again we were all having fun with it so yeah. um and and again you you just you see that everywhere um i i do have one thing i want to note in that picard walks in into his office past his desk and you know opens the the blinds and peeks outside mm-hmm um, and the stock footage is such that it looks like a car is about to crash into his building. <laughs> the angle is completely wrong. I, I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, of course I did. <laughs> it's because it, he's supposed to be on like the second floor. He's looking down. Yeah. And then yeah. It, the footage is on level with the car, which like you said, right. is just driving right at the camera and it's, there's no yeah. physical space for it to take a turn as it would if things were more appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was jarring and obvious in a in a not so good way, but you know it's whatever. It's stock footage. What yeah. are you gonna do? Um, yeah, it's it's a split second. Who cares? And Picard has this initial excursion into the holodeck where he's dressed in his 
Starfleet uniform and all the the, the entities inside the holodeck. The I don't know what you call them. These golems. They are they're all commenting on it. <laughs> and um, it, it's it's cool because it, every Picard's like reacting to everything like in a very um, childlike way. We we mentioned this yeah. before. I don't like the metaphysics of him leaving after this first time Thank with, you. with with that lipstick on his face. Yeah. Um, we see this function a couple times this episode, and, and we see that get retconned pretty quickly in later holodeck episodes. It also had that um in the in the pilot episode when I think Wesley Crusher is like falls in a lake in the holodeck and he leaves soaking wet. Which, oh, was he still wet when he walked out? He was. He was. Huh. Um, I guess I was just trying to tune that whole episode out when we watched it. If, well, it, it was like three hours long. <laughs> so That should have been a big goodbye. This, this is the glaring flaw with this episode about things missing. What's missing from this episode in a large way is science. Um, there's no science in this science fiction. There's yes, yes. No- which, which violates one of the one of the, the the gene rules exactly problematic and it's this is where you start seeing hints of that it's like why is that lipstick still on picard's face um mm-hmm. the most egregious of this is when they attempt to provide an explanation for the threat that eventually befalls the characters another character just tells them to shut up i don't want the explanation <laughs> just whatever um, <laughs> you just hand wave it away exactly and in the, in the most um, obvious way possible to just yeah. say the, the line is literally I don't want an explanation just do it <laughs> which is completely out of character too yes yes um, and that we'll get to that later I guess because there's a lot of not great character moments that, that feel wrong mm-hmm. in that, that exchange but so Picard leaves the holodeck he goes to this meeting and he tells everybody what a holodeck is um, Worf, and, <laughs> Worf and Data don't really know what a car is, despite the fact yep, that yep. they all go riding in a dune buggy in one of the films. <laughs> I I did appreciate in that meeting, you know, he's going on and on and on about the holodeck, and then um, after he realizes he's been talking about it for like five minutes straight, he just stops and then immediately like turns heel to uh, to talk about the meeting content. Right. Um, I thought that was that was some pretty funny delivery. It was. That was that was a good moment. I enjoy the fact that the meeting had nothing of substance to it when they do set to talk about what, what's going on. Yes. Because they're like, <laughs> okay, so we're meeting the Harada, right? And everybody's like, right. And then they're like, oh, Captain, you have to give a very tense speech. And everybody's like, he knows that, Data. Don't tell him. And then they're like, all right, meeting adjourned. No new yeah, information. Yeah, well, yeah. Nothing was we, we just got We just got Troy getting angry at Data. Right. What? That's why they convened the meeting so that Data could uh, make a social faux pas. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, they needed to introduce Data to this plot somehow, right? Yes. We're we're treated to uh, to some more Sherlock Holmes between between him and Jordy, uh, which was a nice little shout out to the the fan that wrote the script. We kept we kept a couple of his lines in. Yeah, we uh, we'd end up regretting that as that added fuel to to his. It did. it did um one thing i do want to just note here is that 
the end of that scene where they're walking through the hallway and Jory says, indubitably, my dear Data, um, with, with that just the smuggest grin. Um, and I, at this point, I really just feel like the show is kind of taking a shit on me. You know? <laughs> it's not... No, 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 no part about that is endearing, right? It's all no, just not at all. Not insufferable. At all. It's, 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 it is. That's exactly what it is. It's insufferable. It's cliche. Just stop it. I thought, I thought we were over this with, uh, you know, the last Sherlock episode, but no, I guess not. It's like I need you to know that I read the book, so I'm gonna quote the the most right. obvious line from it. Um, he was one step away from calling things elementary. um so that's the question though did data need to be introduced to this plot like that yes that not at all not at all no right because he doesn't do anything he ruined he ruins it nor does he really (laughs) serve to um his usual role is like a fish out of water everybody's taking that role so he doesn't add anything um no we just get to see him be wacky Essentially, some funny South America uh, jokes. Yeah, I mean, most of his stuff is slapstick in this episode. You know, him playing with the lamp and stuff like that. It's that, just silly. That lamp thing was so weird. It's like, what? Data doesn't know that things have a power source. He's like, and you know, he you think he would with all the 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 twentieth century books he's read. Right. He read the entire series of these books. They show him doing that. Like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, computer yeah. load every Dixon Hill novel, and then it's like, oh, maybe Dixon Hill never plugs in a lamp. <laughs> hmm? That might be that. That's got to be true, I guess. But yeah, it's Cannon. it's the same thing with the cars. It's it's a it's people writers going too far out of their way to establish that this is the future. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, what, what is an automobile? What do you mean you have to plug something in for it to have power? These yeah, are... and that's the thing. Like, we have a problem with this now, but if if they had just made these characters aware of these kinds of things, no one would have batted an eye. Right. No one's going to be like, oh, what? how does Worf know what a car is? What? Right, right, right. Presumably Despite every society... Was raised by... Yeah. Oh, he was raised by humans. You're right. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But presumably every society that has reached space travel has at some point uh, created locomotion the on, on their own planet, the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a prerequisite yeah. to create the wheel in order to uh, to evolve in any meaningful way. It, yeah, I call this stupid sci-fi because it's clearly. Oh, you're gonna coin that term? I'm gonna coin that term. It's stupid sci-fi because it's. Very clearly in service of being science fiction, of establishing otherworldliness and the future and advancement, but it's just a, such a boneheaded way of doing it that when you actually think about it, it does not make any sense. It's yeah, it's 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 ham-fisted. It's it's worse than ham-fisted. Yeah, it's like it's just contradictory Yeah, yeah. There, there's um something else on this a very similar topic. When Picard's in the holodeck for the first time, and I wrote this down in my notes, somebody says that he's ready for Halloween. Because yes, of his I wrote garb. that down too. And I wrote that down too. Picard says Halloween as if he doesn't know what it is, despite Picard's entire character being like a historian, archaeologist, yep. 
well-versed in Earth's history, first and foremost, and he's just never heard of Halloween, an internationally celebrated holiday for centuries. And that exchange goes nowhere, by the way. He just says Halloween, and then they move on. (laughs) Which is great that all of these uh, confusing moments also serve no point. (laughs) so yeah um really they could have just kept that out and we could have pretended that picard knew what halloween was as he should i struggle to believe that halloween doesn't exist in the future yeah because it's not something that is um tied to any particular piece of technology such that it could become outdated it's, I mean, uh, maybe maybe they got fed up with cultural appropriation in the future, like too many white girls dressing up as Indians or cats. Too many too many white girls dressing up as uh, as Klingons, you know. My and costume they, they is were sexy like, Klingon. Yeah, I I would like to see that actually. Well, we had a little bit of that when uh, Riker provided Worf with a wife to have sex with on the bridge. That's true. We do get. <laughs> We do get some of that later, too. So, just so, patience. So, here's a question. Picard, who, by this point, has gotten the Enterprise out of ten jams where he's had to, you know, apply his critical thinking skills and um, solve problems, solve mysteries, to to do his job, would he really find being a detective to be his form of escape and relaxation. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, because it's it's uh there's there's no stakes. I mean, he's read the book as he as he notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He sits there and and tells these these characters, these golems as as you aptly called them that he has read the book um which you would think would kind of take him out of it to to, to make that meta reference, right? Um, and they don't even acknowledge it either. So another weird throwaway line. But yeah, I I do think that this this is in line with Picard's character for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was just raising the point. But so after this meeting, when everybody is abreast of the holodeck situation, we get our crew together to go inside the holodeck, which ultimately involves. Picard, Data, and some guy, later to be joined uh, by Crusher. He's he's a historian. Yes, but to the audience, he's some guy. He's some guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Data invites himself, which I have to say, I mean, come on, I like Data. I, we both we both love Data. Hmm. Um, I think this is the first time I've seen Data in these eleven episodes that I just wanted him to go away. Yeah, it's, like we said, he doesn't add anything. Um, yeah, 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 I guess we already went over that. And he pulls but, attention from Picard. Like, I want to see Picard's reaction to exactly. everything And did you notice, so they go into the hollow deck and they start talking to that guy at the newsstand, right? Mm. You notice both of these guys immediately do their best to completely take Picard mentally just out of, of this role play. What? Data starts quoting statistics. Oh, the yes, historian, yes, yes. the historian starts uh, telling Picard about what happens in the near future from this point. Um, neither of them can stay in character, uh, which, which is the point. You know, it's the point, and it, 
Picard, who has invited them to share this experience with him, must be really kicking himself right now. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it it shows because once Picard is alone when he goes to get interrogated by the police, Ever- Crusher comes to join them at that time, and she talks to Data and the historian, and they're both like, "Oh yeah, Picard's having such a good time, having so much fun, uh, getting into his character." And it's like they mm-hmm. they know what he's there for. They know that he's there to role play, and they're still just right. like, "Oh, we're gonna ruin it for you." Yeah, I just don't understand why some people can't take role playing seriously. It's a it's kind of offensive, really. It is. It is. I mean, you're trying you're trying to you know get a get a few friends together for a fun night, you know, um, fun night of role sitting playing. around the table trying to role play. Um, and then, you know, one guy just has to break the fourth wall. That's his power or something. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't, I don't have any patience for this. And this episode really triggered me in I, that regard. I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. at, to her credit, Crusher is not one of these people. Um, Crusher joins in and init- immediately she starts trying to emulate the, the, the golems around her. Like she sees. Yeah, she learns how to be a woman. Right. She's like, oh, what is this make up? And starts applying it, um, and it's it's kind of cute. Like, just there's a moment where she's sitting next to another woman and just kind of like shifting her posture in a bunch of different small ways to to mimic the uh, the goal of mm-hmm. woman. And that that's a cute moment. It's uh, followed by her and Picard openly flirting with each other, and well, that, that's happened a couple times this episode. Yeah, it's just strange because at one point they're like, let's go have sex in your character's office. And yeah. once, once again, Captain Killjoy, uh, Data, <laughs> and the historian are like, all right, we'll come too. I loved just, I loved Crusher's reaction to that. She was going to get <laughs> some. that exasperated eye roll. That was, that was the, that, that was, that was a good scene. It, um, it was, but it was weird for it to be so openly sexual. Um, yeah, and and I I would say even um, the previous scene <laughs> with the two of them flirting in the the meeting room was even weirder. Yeah, if you remember this, Picard gets very very close to her face in front of his entire crew and asks her to join him on the hollow deck. I don't know what they were going for with this. Like, yes, I the, think I think we know what they were going for. Well, but why the two? It's of, just awkward. The two of them have history. Of course, and that's established. And in the naked now, there's that moment where they're like under the effects of that intoxication, and they're like throwing themselves mm-hmm. at each other. So it's like, yeah, this is beneath the surface because that's that tends to happen when people are drunk. They kind of act on these um, deeply held feelings, and like it's there. It's not that this doesn't make sense, but for them to be so open about it. While they're both like it's extremely professional people, yeah, is a little yeah. out of character. I, I had the same impression. I wasn't sure if I was just being a killjoy, but since you're saying the same thing, yeah, I kind of felt that too. Uh, I didn't hate it. No, I I didn't hate the end result, but it is jarring and doesn't really mesh so well with what we've seen so far from them. Yeah, and that's that's just it. It's not problematic, but it is different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I 
loved or hated those crusher scenes when Uh-oh. she's sitting there with the makeup. I love them. I think they, I think they can go either way. They're part of like how this episode progressively works, but I ended up enjoying yeah. them a lot. I mean, I, I like Crusher a lot. She's one of my uh, yeah. more liked characters, yeah. which helps. She was looking good too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I I don't know. It's just do we live in a post makeup post gum society? <laughs> the gum. <laughs> See, that's like. It's fine to say we live in a post-gum society because that's the way you say it. It's uh, Crusher doesn't like take the piece on a rapid and like hold it up to the light. Like, what is this? Is <laughs> right, this food? right, right, uh, it, right? Instead, she just takes it, eats it, and swallows it immediately as if it were normal food, and is left with like the struggles of swallowing gum because it's not the easiest. You are, you are, you are right. That was executed very well. It's great because it is in the exact same episode not long after that automobile exchange, which is just different ends of the spectrum on how well to execute one of these things. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and I guess I didn't appreciate that enough, really. You've, uh, you really made me come around on that bit. We did it. We did it. So um, this is around the time that uh, the aliens are probing the Enterprise, and it causes the malfunction yes. in the holodeck. Which is another thing that just makes zero sense with no explanation. That's it's just just a, just a plot convenience, right? It's like okay, we got probed, and that messed with some of the holodeck's coding. So the natural conclusion is that these real people are have become like code in the holodeck's program and no longer have their physical forms because apparently, if we shut the holodeck down, they might just go away with it. Which is stupid. It's incredible. Like they're stupid. they're in a physical room right now. Right. They're physical people. The holodeck, it's it's not magic. And yeah. It, it never purports to be magic. So you have to have some explanation on why this would be the the conclusion of things. Because when this initially happens, I I don't even perceive a threat to to be going on. Because it's like, all right, they're mm-hmm. just maybe the the room shuts down whatever it's like going into laser tag and be like oh no the lasers are real it's like well that doesn't really make sense could you explain that to me yeah it's so dumb lots of really dumb uh holodeck logic in this episode that thankfully does get rectified in in later episodes but yeah man it just just in and of itself like even if there was never another holodeck episode to to compare this against it's still so stupid it is and a large part of that is just the lack of explanation. If they had attempted anything, yeah. anything, then sure, I could have fought that. I fought plenty of explanations I didn't understand a word of before. Because it's like, sure, tachyons, whatever. Um, here, it's you're because you're left to come up with your own explanation, and because that's so difficult to do, it just doesn't track. Right, right. Agreed. So this so, the the plot inside of the holodeck kind of accelerates at like a rapid pace. Um, yeah, yeah, things come to a head very quickly. They they're at the police station. Picard's taken in for a murder, and then they're like, "All right, I'll let you go." It's like, "Okay, well, that's done. Let's go see Picard's office." Oh, we're being held yeah. up at gunpoint, like very yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, and there's a cute moment where like the the historian gets shot by somebody accosting Picard and everybody, is a key moment. <laughs> everybody starts clapping for him because he gave such a realistic performance yes, of getting yes, shot. That's right. 
That's right. And then they're like, oh my god, he was shot. Oh no. <laughs> he says they're not supposed to be real. Right. And that's that's how it's outed that there's a real threat to our characters and for some reason they're inside the world of the holodeck completely. Yes, yeah. Um which whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll bury talking about that. We've already done that to death, but I'll just accept that they're in danger. And um it's it's kind of neat to be like, all right, now you have to play by the rules of this scenario you've, you've created for yourself. And there's right. like a little bit of that where Picard is um, trying to negotiate using like some item that he doesn't really even know what it is. Um, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll get you your item, but we have to get this guy to a hospital or whatever. Um, however... That is completely undermined by the crew's willingness to just tell these golems that they're golems and none of this is real. And it Mm -hmm. becomes this weird metaphysical discussion on the nature of reality. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the pathos of all that, you know, uh, from from the, the golems point of view. Where they're they're not even sure if they're gonna exist again if if Picard and his his crew just walk out of there, you know. The problem uh, is before that, I, I, before, mm-hmm. before like the the door opens, um, they have no reason to believe any of this. Like, just they're ostensibly real people; they're programmed to act like real people. So imagine you're just holding a a guy at gunpoint, and he's just like, "None of this is real." You're well, a that's the thing; they don't. Yeah, but or are you saying it's stupid for him to have even tried that? It's stupid for him to have tried it, but they don't believe him. But they entertain it for some amount of time, like not mm. not the cop, but the gangsters. Do. Right, right, um, right. Red block. For, completely forgot to introduce them, so they're being held up by some kind of a uh, what's that guy's name? The guy who was like a a Weasley proto Steve Buscemi from those. Um, Oh, I don't remember his name. Peter something. Um, ah, oh, this is gonna bother me. Whatever, but he's like a stand-in for that guy. He's got like a, a similar kind of snivelly voice, kind of strange yeah. looking, and he's the underling to fucking Lawrence Tierney, of all people, who just shows mm-hmm. up in the episode, and you kind of do a double take. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, I remember working with him, but it's it, even then it still takes me by surprise to just see yeah. Lawrence Tierney walk onto the screen of TNG. Um, and we, I know we got some Lawrence Tierney stories. Might as well knock these out of the way. Uh, yeah. So Lawrence Tierney is notable for a few reasons in the public eye. Um, he. he he came to public attention when he later went on to have a guest appearance on Seinfeld and people heard all of the stories of him working on various productions and getting in violent fights or or Mm. committing crimes while under contract and working. Yeah. um, That, that working with tyranny was, I think working with tyranny was probably one of our worst experiences thus far. I would agree with that. It's it was dangerous, is what it was. Yeah, very aggressive guy. Um, while we were filming, he would often just goad 
the other actors or challenge them to 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 fucking throw down in a physical altercation like right right brent especially poor brent um anytime there was a break in their scenes because you know brent spiner and tierney were in that shared scene at the end um he would just like square up with brent and tell him to like just just try it try me as as if to like instigate a fight with him and you know brent obviously didn't want to fight he would probably lose to tierney even though you know the age difference was quite large but um he ended up so frustrated he almost ending ended up taking a swing at the guy but i think it was michael who came in and saved the day and kind of mm-hmm. diffused it all uh, and you know michael being large and imposing um was the only one who really could match up with tierney in a way that would, would get the ladder to, to back down right um, if he didn't step in, I think Tierney would have ended up killing Brent. Just straight up. But I think yeah. I think it was worth the trouble, the final cut that Oh, we it did. definitely was. It definitely was. I mean, you know, it speaks for itself, of course. It does. The, the thing with the thing with Tierney is um you know, e- even at the time he was an older guy, right? Um I guess I guess he had kind of built his his career off of uh, starring as you know some some kind of gangster in all these old movies, these old boring gangster movies, right? Right. Um, so at some point, the the streams kind of got crossed, and uh, his personality just became that, right? Yeah. Um, the way that he talks in this episode with like that old timey language, he just used just some him. of that. Yeah. 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 He he was. I wouldn't even call it acting what he did in this episode. Um, he was just reading lines from a script. That's just how, that's just how he talks. Um, and I remember a particularly disturbing morning that didn't end quite as well as Brent's confrontation with him, um, oh where he 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 steals this knife right from from one of the service tables. God knows why. Um, he just slips it in his pocket and starts walking away. So I go knife. to confront. Yeah, it's just it's just a knife, a but weapon. it's you know it's 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 a it's a knife knife. You know what I mean? Something that can do some damage. Right. Um. So I walk up to him to to confront him about it, and he just stands there, looks straight in my eyes, doesn't break contact for a single second. He pulls the knife out, and just runs his tongue along the edge, and walks away without a word. Um. Do you think that was like an intimidation tactic? I don't know. I don't know if he was trying to intimidate me or if he actually is that insane. I mean, I think it's the latter, to be honest. Maybe it's a combination of both. But things got so heated on this set with this guy um, that you remember Frakes. Frakes eventually had enough and challenged him to a fist fight on set, um, which I have to say was a bad idea on his part because we ended up having to delay the filming of um, the remaining Riker scenes for almost a whole week. It it really threw a wrench into production. I mean, more so than just Tierney's presence in general did. But it it almost feels like like Tierney won in the end. Like he he provoked somebody enough to uh, well he did to to meet him on his level. It, it it interrupted production, and Tierney still got paid. Yeah. So and we, you know we have probably dozens more of these stories. Like this was these were not isolated incidents. He caused a problem probably every single day. Yeah. I think that that was often the um, the threat from the writers. It's like, 
if if some if somebody was like fucking with them or causing the writers trouble, they'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna write another episode with Tyranny in it." So <laughs> you want us to bring Tyranny back? Exactly. And yeah. uh, it was oh, it was tongue in cheek, but you always had the sense that they kind of meant it too, because the writers they didn't have to be there for for filming itself. Like they they could just kind of submit the script and leave if they didn't want to supervise mm. their episode. Um, so it, it had an element of truth to it. Yeah, no one, no one really wanted to test it. No, understandable. No. Nobody wanted to find out. So, but Tierney himself, in like the the finished product, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed his presence enough to like divorce the the production from the product. It, uh, yeah, yeah. It it gave a lot of credibility, I think, to this this noir scene. It definitely did. Yes. Uh, I, th- I think he really did shine in this scene. Um, I think without him, it wouldn't have been nearly as good, actually. It wouldn't have. And it, it feels like um, like there's a real threat um, there. More so than just like a guy getting shot. It's like, wow, Lawrence Tierney, this, this gangster is a wild fucking animal. What's he going to yeah. do? Um, right and he's he's like a very imposing guy he's like no don't shoot him shoot the woman uh just very kind of straight up evil in a lot of ways um Mm -hmm. which i appreciated it's uh there were clumsy parts of that scene but that was one of the things that worked i feel yeah yeah i i would agree with that um Yeah, so where were we? Oh god, I just got I got so distracted by the tyranny talk. You got tyrannied. The tyranny of tyranny. I got tyrannied. So yeah, wow, there you go. Meanwhile, um while this interaction's happening in the holodeck, they are trying to fix this from the outside, they being the Enterprise crew. Um uh Jordy and Wesley Crusher are sent to investigate things by Riker. And Yes, yes. During that, Riker attempts communication with the Harada, but they rebuff him for not being the captain because they don't. He's talking to anybody, but the captain is dishonorable to them. Whatever, you know, we got to solve this quick, otherwise the Harada are going to get pissed and ruin our relations with them. Ticking clock. So when they go to like tinker with the holodeck from the outside and attempt to fix it, they basically do that instantly, and. They're like, oh, uh, Wesley Crusher to Captain, we can fix this problem, but if we fail, everybody inside will die instantly. And that's because, and this is where Riker says, I don't care why, just do it. (laughs) Just very willing to throw everybody's life in jeopardy. Wesley Crusher, uh, too, shows basically no hesitation to doing something that might result in the death of his own mother. Um just again instantly just does the thing and it works instantly so okay problem solved. oh yeah i mean of course wesley saves the day once again i i have not been keeping a running count but we got to be up to like the fifth or sixth time by now right definitely um and yeah riker's character thus far has been um i don't know very very poorly defined <laughs> uh be- between this and the q episode I don't even know who Riker is. I feel that. he He's just like playing with people's lives. Um, 
just making snap decisions without consultation or 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 reflection. Um, right, right. I don't know how he's fit to be uh, first officer number one. Yeah, that's a that's a great question because he's so far just been completely irresponsible, and that's a good uh, he's it. done relatively nothing. So I don't know. So yeah, I mean, look, he. In in the middle of a crisis on the ship, he sits down with his head in his hands and watches a twelve year old boy save the day. Um, one of one of his his crewmates is getting married, so he decides to pout all day about it. Um, Q gives him powers, I guess, and you know, two minutes later, he starts thinking he he can address Picard by uh, you know his first name. In in this episode, at the drop of a hat. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, go. We need. We, say, no, we need more examples. In this episode, um, he is reluctant to even send Wesley Crusher to go work on this because Crusher's like, "Oh, I'll go too," and Riker's like, "No, don't go. We need you to, right. to do something else." And then Jordy tells him, "Well, his mother's life is at stake too," and only then does Riker relent to allowing Crusher to do the work that ultimately saves the day. Actually, actually, Troy tells him. Oh, Troy tells him. All right. She, all she, right. she has to stand up and say dumb woman stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you bring it up like that, this guy has watched Wesley, personally watched Wesley, at least uh, save the day twice. Right. At least. So, and they were both engineering related. So Just why like not send time. this kid to engineering? Yeah. Uh, that's a very good point. Yeah. Riker at the drop of a hat just decides to be an asshole for no reason, um, as the script demands. Right, and narratively, and not what is the purpose of him denying Crusher the chance first, only to give in a second later? Like, what function in the script does that serve? Right, it just establishes yeah. Riker as kind of a hard ass who doesn't think things through. Did they think we'd be wondering why he let Wesley go? Yeah. I don't think anyone really cares what Wesley does. You, you can't be like, oh, why would they uh, allow a teenager to go solve this problem after you've shown him solving numerous problems and getting promoted to honorary ensign, like, well ahead right. of the time. And having the Traveler be like, oh, that Wesley Crusher is going to do great things, great extra dimensional things. He's going to evolve. Yeah. It's, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't track. It's just kind of dumb. And Riker, I think he's just the victim of all this, where they felt the need to answer that question nobody asked of why Wesley is allowed to do things, and Riker's always the vessel of the first person to turn <laughs> Right. Around. Kind of how Worf is always the one to suggest something and then get shot down for really no reason. Um, mm -hmm. He's just the victim of like a, something they needed for the writing. And Riker yeah, is kind it, of the same thing. It's a script convenience. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so they fix the problem and the door to the holodeck opens and it appears in Picard's office or Dixon's office, I guess. Um, and the, at this point, every, everybody's like, oh, you are from a different world. Oh my God. And this is where we get the silliest shot of the episode where, mm -hmm. where Tyranny's character and his underling just step out into the hallway of the Enterprise and start like disintegrating because they're just pieces of data. 
Um, <laughs> and they have this like monologue, like, "No, you can't destroy me. They can't do this to me. Yeah. Don't you know who I am?" And he's standing there, just static. Right. Like he could have just walked right back in, but he just stands there and has a has a little temper tantrum and disappears. Very silly. It was so stupid. Like that that was not fun silly. That was dumb silly. That was dumb silly. And the framing of that shot too was like their entire bodies were in frame. The camera was pulled back. It just It's almost a parody of itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then then we're treated to that that uh emotional scene of Picard saying that uh the, the golem, his his golem friend may not exist when he leaves that room. Right. Which, you know, um I think in a slightly more competent or uh, differently structured episode, this is a cool question to ask. Yeah, I, I think that this could have benefited from having a longer runtime, whether as maybe as a two-parter episode. Because yeah. if you would like interspersed their time in the holodeck with moments like this to build up to it, yes. Yes. Um, rather than cram it all into the final seven minutes of the show, it would have been a lot deeper uh and a lot more um, intellectually stimulating if you mm -hmm. had had these characters thinking and talking about this for a while. Right, um, and I, I would go so far as to say that um, it could really hold its own as as the central plot of an episode. You know, uh, yeah. um, a, a sentient holodeck golem comes to terms with, uh, you know, the, the idea that he might not exist, you know? Mm. I think it's kind of interesting. It is, it is, and uh, that happens a lot in Star Trek, I think, where there's, the real, there's a kernel of an idea somewhere that's not given the proper amount of time to develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, here it's just tacked on at the end. And right. And we literally, nothing really comes. We literally have a character say to another one, so, this is the big goodbye. <laughs> he said the name of the episode he did he which did. Uh, that, that automatically adds one point to the score i i appreciated that line cheesy as it is because it does feel like a, a line from a noir film it does it does it's, it sounds just cheesy enough right it's overly melodramatic but that's exactly what mm -hmm. they're what they're going for um right 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 so uh, that, also against um, so once they get out yeah. of the holodeck and that's all done, Picard resolves the B plot in like 15 seconds, record time. Yeah, all, all he had to do was say a thing. Right. Um, he walks onto and... the bridge and like very exasperatedly, frustratedly, just belts out the 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 uh, Haradin greeting, and mm -hmm. then they're like, "Okay, you did it, Picard. Let's have half happy ever after." And, yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now they're they're friends. They're I guess I assume they're going to join the Federation or something, or at least they're going to have, you know, maybe maybe trade relationships or something like that. Um, all because Picard memorized a fifteen second line. Right. And and no, no one else could do that before, by the way. No. And there was no gravity paid to this. Um, no. No. It's not it's not like Picard. You've you know you've been in the holodeck and under pressure for. The past several hours how are you going to do this are you okay like are you, are you going to be able to say the line um he just walks on there yeah he just walks on like loosens his tie because he's just fucking tired and he's like all right and uh, and then he finishes um, i think there's an argument for that actually working 
better with this episode. Just just that completely inconsequential resolution to the 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 B plot because everything else in the episode has already been so silly. That's true. I I can appreciate I that good that argument. But it feels very much like a rationalization to me. I don't know. I could almost see it being intentional for them to just say, yeah, you know, silly episode is going to have a silly conclusion. But you, you, you might be right. Maybe. That's a very charitable outlook on your part. <laughs> what can I say? I just love this episode, Mitch. <laughs> why is it? Why does this episode work? Like, we both agreed that we just kind of liked it for some reason, but it's... It, it works in spite of in spite of the countless mistakes that it makes that we already went over. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the data stuff, the people not knowing stuff that happened 200 years ago. Um, the rushed pacing. Yeah, yeah, it's really what it is, and I think we tend to see this quite a bit. The Picard stuff is just so good that it overshadows all of the negative qualities of the episode. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And that's it. If if you could take just the Picard scenes and uh, mash them together and still get a, co a coherent episode, I would recommend people just do that, to be honest, rather than watch the whole thing. But unfortunately, you can't do that. Right. I, I think we mentioned how this uh, idea had a lot more potential. And that stings a lot more because the B plot is so rushed and uh, mm -hmm. nothing. So had right. that just been excised completely, it's like you would have had more time for this. The pacing could have slowed down. Um, it's a shame. I want to raise yeah, one one point in that this episode, the events of this episode, are exactly what Barclay gets excoriated for later on in the series, and I don't think that's particularly fair. For him, oh, remind me again how it's the same. So Barclay has an episode where he has like a holodeck addiction, and he's always in the holodeck creating elaborate power fantasies for himself, and mm -hmm. people don't like that. It's like Barclay, it's not healthy to use the holodeck like this to to well, take these excursions. It, really, it's the difference between playing one game of Quake and devoting your life to it, though, isn't it? Is it, though? Because Picard went into the holodeck, like, only a couple hours before he was due to have this big meeting with the, um, the Harada. And well, Picard's, Picard's also not making sex dolls of his subordinates. I mean, he's making out the, with, with somebody within, uh, minutes of being in there. So even if it's not his subordinates, he's still... It is a little irresponsible, but he couldn't have accounted for the, the power outage. I'm just saying that, you know, Justice for Barkley. Yeah, yeah, and we do get it. Don't worry, audience. We do get justice for Barkley, even though we haven't gotten to him yet. And we won't for a very long time. <laughs> um, I did. I don't know if you have any uh, other points. No, not really. All right, I want to posit a question. Okay. Who is more honorable, the Harada or the Klingons? Oh, that's a question. Um. You know, that didn't even occur to me how this, this society based completely on uh, honor and valuing that so highly might also cut into the Klingon slice of the pie. Um, yeah. I want to say the Harada because the Klingons don't 
hold other races to like standards with their language. They don't. They don't kill them for mis- mispronouncing something. Right. Like Picard speaks Klingon several times throughout the series, and it's never really noted the pressure of doing it correctly. Right. Um, so I, I guess the Harada are more honor. Well, they care more about honor, but I think the Klingons are more honorable. If you catch my drift. Ah, oh, that's that's a good way to take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I mean, I have nothing else to add to that. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good point to raise <laughs> because try. it's like, oh, these things are overlapping. There's only so many concepts in the world that to base an alien race on, and we've already rounded it back to honor twice. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see it again. Lots of the honorable races in Star Trek, or honor honor focused races. Um, all right, so I guess we will move on to trivia, huh? Awesome. Um, got another another pretty simple question for you. Uh, it's probably going to be a shot in the dark for you. Okay. Well, I'm over for three you, now, I believe. Yes. <laughs> One day. Do you remember? Do you remember is when it, is that the, the question? Harada, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm asking you. Okay. Oh, I can say, do you remember? Period. Or question mark? And like, well, do, do you do you remember? That's a tough uh, one. Do, do you remember when the Harada next show up? No, no. I, Not I, even a guess. Okay, uh, Jesus. Um, that's the question. Is when the Harada next show up? Yes. Okay. Um, you you can give me something like vague. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't have to be like this specific. I, I'm gonna narrow it down to two possibilities: that they either show up very soon like immediately or they show up in like the seventh season late very late i don't think the harada show up in the middle of the series run um because and i'm basing this on some meta knowledge i don't think you would ask this question if the harada just like had three appearances in season five and two in season four like regular or anything i think it would have to be um more notable than that Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go with the very next episode. Oh, all right. Well, Mitch, um, they actually do reappear smack dab in the middle of the series. God damn it! Uh, <laughs> in, in a paperback novel um, called Imbalance, where despite Picard having established diplomatic relations with them, um, they kidnap the entire crew, and Picard has to save them. In an honorable way? I guess I'm not sure because I haven't read it, but uh, I, I just I just thought that was a, a fun little retcon. You ever see um, Space Ghost Coast to Coast? Oh, of course. You know Brack. Mm-hmm. That's what I picture the Harada looking like. <laughs> That's a good visual image, right? There's these, I mean, like... they, they are ridiculous enough. They sound stupid. Yeah, and they're like apparently insects, so I imagine them as having this like angry face, like big pincers. Yeah. Wow. So damn it, I I am zero for four now. But uh, well, my time you'll get one soon. Yeah. You might have to give me a softball. Like, um, what is the name of the ship that the crew serves on? And I'll be able to get that one. (laughs) Well, I'll try to think of one that. is a little easier next time. 
Can't wait. Uh, well, that'll do it for this episode of The Readier Room. Join us next time on The Readier Room, where I will hopefully answer some trivia correctly. And until then, everybody, stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. beginning, 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 beginning.